a seconder usually when I propose this, but I don't care. I don't need a seconder. My own opinion is enough for me. I claim the right to have it defended against any consensus, any majority, anywhere, any place, any time. And anyone who disagrees with this can pick a number, get online, and kiss my ass. That representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed are greater than the legal services performed by other lawyers. My name's Harry Still, Backwood Southern Lawyer. You found the Backstory Podcast. I'm joined today by my partner and client, Paul Rip. How are you today, Mr. Rip? Real good, real good. Podcast number 41. 41. Unforeseeable. We'll, we'll get really? into that a little bit. Was all this unforeseeable? I'm not so sure. So uh, the last time we were on, Mr. Rip, we talked about uh, people whose monuments should be removed, right? And uh, Reigns called on the, the father of modern guy, gynecology, and that is Dr. Sims, J. Marion Sims. This was his uh, statue in Central Park in New York City. Um, so guess what happened to that? Down. Yeah, let's see. All his dirty little secrets came to light, and uh, the good people in New York said, "Damn!" With the statue back in 2018, um, he experimented on slaves without anesthesia. So, when we were in Montgomery a few months ago, Paul, we went up there uh, for that Senate hearing. I walked around in the drizzling rain and took pictures of the different things around uh, at the the Capitol building and his statue is still standing up there. And, for uh, now. for now, but, uh, if anybody needs any help lifting that thing and throwing it in the river, I'll be glad to help them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of people that feel that way about some of these things. Um, so, so let's talk about, uh, let's talk about black lives matter and, and what's going on close to home here. We had an incident, uh, uh, another police involved. Uh, these guys have been charged with murder. I don't know how else you say it. Um, you, you familiar with this case, Paul? Uh, right. This is the one in Atlanta. Yes, sir. Right. And so, um, charged so I, him with 11 counts, didn't he? Um, yes, sir. Um, I'm trying to find... Had a little video of this, I thought. Um, anyway, the uh, so so you know my concern is the district attorney comes in and charges him with felony murder. Now, uh, there there may be a little difference in Alabama law and Georgia law. I'm not admitted to practice over there, but you know, I see as much danger in overcharging someone with something that may be hard to prove uh, you know if he was following the protocol of the police department he thought he you know this guy's turning around shooting a taser in his face or whatever maybe it's murder maybe it's not but what i'm worried about is when he doesn't get convicted atlanta georgia uh, goes the way of general sherman again you know it's just a i, I saw an interview with him and uh, one of the things that struck me was that he said that they had talked to like five witnesses on the scene, another seven witnesses. Then they reviewed all the videotape and then they went through the criteria of charging someone for murder. 
and uh, he met that criteria. That's how they came up with it. But uh, I agree with you. You put that many counts out there or charges against somebody, eventually some of them are, are going to be, you know, dropped or moved around. And uh, if there's not some sort of conviction on this case, God only knows where it will go. Well, there's, there's a good article on a CBS news website that we're showing you now. And um, of course this is, the, and of course the Wendy's burned to the ground. Right. Right. Um, I, I don't know what the people at Wendy's had to do with it, but they, I, I feel for the, I feel for the people that own that company. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and, so, uh, and so let, let, let's let's do this real quick paul i want to i want to uh watch a a little video about uh greenwood uh community of tulsa okay and, and what happened there um to you know give a perspective on from all sides right 1870s and the beginning of world war one black pioneers settled more than 100 all-black towns in the west each with the goal of economic independence. Among the most well-known was a black district in Tulsa, Oklahoma, known by its residents as Greenwood. If we were to go back in time to 1920 and walk up and down Greenwood Avenue, one thing that would probably strike us is the absolute variety of businesses. The numbers are astonishing, 30 restaurants, 45 groceries and meat markets. There were dry goods stores, milliners, uh, photography studio, dental offices. Greenwood is no longer called Greenwood. It's now known as Black Wall Street. This whole idea of self-containment really existed there. The dollar would stay in that community sometimes over three, five years before it ever went outside of the community. In 1919, black soldiers returned from World War I with high expectations for racial progress at home. But in one city after another, white mobs erupted in violence, targeting black veterans, citizens, and businesses. Hundreds died. On Tulsa's Black Wall Street, African Americans, including armed veterans, watched nervously and prepared for what might come. Countering this white militancy is very much an African-American spirit of we're going to defend ourselves. If the mob comes, we're not going to run. We've got our guns, and we're going to protect ourselves. And that was especially important and valuable and potent in Greenwood. On May 30th, 1921, the mob came to Greenwood. This white woman is in an elevator, and this black teenager allegedly whistles at her or talks to her. He is taken to jail. A mob gathers of whites and blacks, and blacks in Tulsa are armed. They take their Second Amendment rights seriously, and they come with guns. And this is a threat. Someone fires into the crowd, and the riot is born. This was not about the whistling boy in the elevator. This was about Blacks becoming too economically powerful and showing that wealth 
in a way that anyone would by creating buildings and constructing churches and having property. There was a, a whistle that blew, and then the mass invasion and the destruction of Greenwood began. When the smoke cleared in the early morning of June 1st, 1921, Black Wall Street lay in ruins. This is by far the largest single incident of racial violence in all of American history. Well, hard to believe that over 300 people were killed that day and that the black veterans that had come back from World War One, thinking that they're going to the land of the free, would have to face something like that as veterans just a few years later after returning. Uh, it's really a very dark chapter in uh, American history. And one of the things that strikes me is that a lot of people think that all of the racial riots and everything were concentrated in the South. And this just goes to show you that as far away as Tulsa, Oklahoma, they were having the uh, much, much, much worse incident than occurred in the South. Uh, I found that very curious. And uh, this is also uh, Juneteenth. I didn't know whether you got anything you want to present on that, Harry. Well, I wanted, I'll get into that in a second, but um, are you familiar with this? The Southeastern Conference? The, remember this a few years ago? The, the, the Ole Miss had to change their flag. Oh, yeah, 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 right. You're familiar with that? Right. So, uh, let me see if I can, uh, yeah, here, I, I have it here. Um, let's watch this real quick. Good morning. A huge talker today on social media is already in regards to Mississippi and the NCAA Southeastern Conference stepping up, saying that if the state doesn't change a part of their flag, they will remove all SEC championship events. So the commissioner is saying that if the Confederate symbol is not changed on the state of Mississippi's flag, that they will be forced to remove any championship events from being conducted in that state until it is changed. She's said in the statement that it is past time for a change to be made and that all students deserve an environment that is inclusive and welcoming to all. He has support from Mississippi State University's president saying in this lengthy statement that he understands why he's taking this stance and this position that um, they have their school has been on the record in support of this before and that a week ago he wrote a letter to the governor and other state officials reaffirming that support. I also want to say University of Mississippi. So both of the SEC members in that state are in support of this. Thousands of people on social media commenting, one saying that the point of a flag is to unite people and that this flag for the state of Mississippi doesn't do that. Another saying that it should have been gone a long time ago. So join the conversation this morning. Use hashtag WakeUpCLT and let us know what you think. Um, this move, Ben, came hours after University of Florida um, said that they are going to stop promoting gator bait as a chant that their fans use at sporting events. Um, so we may be seeing more moves like this and attention to these details um, coming to light. But uh, we'll continue to keep everybody posted on what the state of Mississippi is going to do in response to this. Like with these social chants. 
you are seeing you know, a gator bait had any kind of race racial connotation though you are seeing a generational and cultural shift gone awry i mean we're just going from one extreme to the other uh with everything else that's happening the pandemic which i'll let you get into in a minute on alabama numbers well, paul paul I ain't, i'm far from done hold on to your hat buddy uh, all right switching gears now Four Confederate portraits have been removed from the Capitol as cities nationwide start taking down public symbols of racism and oppression. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi ordered the paintings of previous leaders to be removed after learning they had served in the Confederacy. This comes as, well, I'm sure uh, the Speaker knew that they had served in the Confederacy, but times have certainly changed. Uh, this comes as cities, schools, and other institutions take down more Confederate statues and monuments. Pelosi says the portraits will be kept in-house storage, though other racist statues still do stand around Capitol Hill. Well, maybe there should be a place in the United States that we could send all the portraits, all the statues and horses and everything else that they're taking down and put it in one location, you know? But, um, and the SEC telling uh, Mississippi that it's gonna be interesting. Now, was that, was that just current, Harry? Yes, sir. I mean, that's that just right. happened. That, that just, that's why I, I put it up. That I, that I, and that's why I could only find some crappy little news station in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi to show you a video of because it's right. off the press this morning. So let's talk about Juneteenth. Um, that's a combination of the two words, June and 19th. Also, yep. known as Freedom Day, Jubilee Day, and Liberation Day. It is a non-federal American holiday and an official Texas state holiday celebrating celebrated annually on the 19th of June in the United States to commemorate Union Army General Gordon Granger announcing federal orders in the city of Galveston, Texas on June 19th, 1865, proclaiming that all slaves in Texas were now free. So although the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed two and a half years before, they were still under Confederate control up until this time. So... Juneteenth. <clears throat> well, that uh, I believe that that is. Uh, um, I think there's a bill that is going to make that a national paid holiday. I believe I heard that. Sounds good to me. <clears throat> Let's talk. Um, you want to talk some COVID numbers, Paul? Yeah. A lot of our listeners think this is all bunk, but uh, 118,000 people have uh, uh, been killed by this virus so far in the United States alone. So go ahead, Harry. Remember how we talked a couple weeks ago? We were, it was back about, uh, I think it was Friday the 22nd. We, we had the highest number of cases that we'd had at that point was about 600. And I said, you know, do you really think that, you know, the, that the social distancing kept it at a, a dull roar and now the beaches and everything else are open. So what do you think is going to happen? Well, you know, now we're getting a thousand cases a day instead of 600. And Baldwin County's just been extremely lucky. But these people down here that keep taunting the statistics, I wish they wouldn't do it. They may bring karma on us. We've been lucky, but uh, 
they're showing signs of in many different states uh, increases and they're all contributed to mass gatherings or Memorial Day or something like that. So, so eight and a half million take. people worldwide have contracted the coronavirus that we have tested and confirmed 2.2 million in the United States. And global deaths are approaching a half a million people. I wish you had that uh, graph that uh, I think it was the New York Times had it and it showed uh, Germany, Italy, I think in France, and it showed the curve that they had in all three of those countries. And what it did was it peaked and then from peaking, it went slowly down. But in the United States, it is not peaked and it's been steadily on a, on a high. So, and they predict Florida is going to be the new epicenter. Yeah, and we've Alabama has yet to go 14 days yet. So uh, tell us about Dickie Lynn. Oh, Dickie Lynn. Dickie Lynn was uh, moving around in my territory in Belize, Central America. Uh, I moved down there 79, and the 80s were like the Wild West in Central America. There were more people exporting pot and drugs than there were down there as tourists. And I mean, literally, I mean, literally, um, Dickie, uh, was, uh, one of the biggest cases. Uh, I think he had something like, uh, uh let's see, they're trying now. This is in a Lanyap article, article by uh, Gabe times admitted cocaine kingpins freed from a life sentence. This is a compassionate release. They've been trying to get Lynn out of jail for quite some time. Richie Dickie Lynn, uh, 65, was responsible for uh, smuggling 16,000 kilos of cocaine and more than 17 tons of marijuana into the United States from Belize in the 80s. And uh, like I said, in Belize in the 80s, it was uh, I just... I couldn't describe it any other way than Wild West. You didn't know who you were talking to down there or who was doing what. And you have to remember the Belize only became independent in 1981. Well, then it was Honduras, Western Honduras, Eastern Honduras. No, British Honduras. British Honduras. British Honduras. And um, I get confused with all that Guiana, French Guiana. Yeah, well, most of what happened was back in that time, uh, especially Britain was trying to cut loose some of the colonies that they had, and this was one of the only one of the oldest of colonies that they had there. And uh, in '81, it became an independent nation and went from British Honduras to Belize. But um, Dickie Lynn's been in there almost 30 years, I think. And uh, 31. Yeah. Uh, the Trials of Dickie Lynn is a book that's on Amazon if you want to read something like that. These guys were, he and his partner were uh, kind of Jimmy Buffett stylist, if you will. Footloose and Fancy three, Free, flying to and from Columbia, Belize, and everywhere else. Uh, but I guess that, that's all come to an end. Yeah. I, I want to talk about uh, the the Wild West that is 
Baldwin County. Um, so the have have you seen anything recently about the uh, all the expenditures that are going to be made on uh, facilities for law enforcement in Baldwin County? Oh God, no. Okay, well I'm about to I'm about to educate you. Okay. A much-needed jail expansion set to move forward in Baldwin County, and it's something the sheriff has been pushing for for at least the last five years. Yeah, it's going to cost about $40 million and be done in phases over the next three years. Our Baldwin County reporter, Fox 10 News, Hal Sherrick, learned that this will also have a big impact on the city of Baymanet as well. With the fast growth Baldwin County is seeing, Sheriff Hoss Mack says he's pleased agreements have been reached between the county and the city of Bay Manette to move forward with the jail expansion. Overcrowding is a problem that's only gotten worse since he first started looking at making changes five years ago. We had a lot of discussions back then about facilities, whether building a separate facility on the south end uh, to expand existing facilities, so we did several feasibility studies. The feasibility studies came back and identified exactly what we needed, which was to expand the existing bed space at the correction center in Baymanette. The jail currently holds 650 prisoners, and pre-COVID, some months were near capacity. Another issue is the growing number of female inmates in recent years. Since they must be separated from the men, this expansion will also fill that need. The Baldwin County Commission approved $38 million in this year's budget to make it happen. I mean, the sooner that we can get started, um, the better, because we know as fast as Baldwin County grows, uh, that we're going to be dealing with this issue in the next three years. And so we just wanted to be ready for that. The county is purchasing the municipal annex from the city of Bay Manette right across the street from the county jail. The cost is $890,000, and the sheriff's administrative offices will move there. That means the Bay Manette Police Department and several other municipal offices. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Everybody gets a brand new SUV. A new justice center. That's why we're excited about being in partnership with the county commission and the sheriff on this project. It and several other things. It helps oh, yeah, the sheriff, it helps the county, and it helps the city. So uh, it's a three-way win, in my opinion. These changes will take time, and Sheriff Mack expects inmate populations to get worse before they get better. Department of Corrections is not accepting inmates from counties. So we're housing state inmates in our facility. And why is that? And why, if he's got everybody's phone number on our legislative delegation, aren't they up there raising hell with the governor to come take these state prisoners out of the county jail? And why? Because he's playing why? ball. Because yeah. let's use this crisis to build a bunch of jail space. Let's continue. To, let's let's continue to be educated, Paul. Hold on. Until they get ready to take them back. And right now, their plan is probably not even to start taking state inmates till the end of the year. Yeah, it's a problem that's only going to get worse now that state courts are back open, taking pleas and having bench trials. Sheriff Mack tells me that this expansion should take the county 15 to 20 years into the future. Now, as far as when it'll be complete and when the city's new uh, justice center will be complete, both look to be done sometime in 2023. Reporting live in Baymanette, Hal Sherrick, Fox 10 News. Hello, everyone. What do you think? Well, I think that it's just like 
a two-lane road. As soon as there's a little more traffic, they had a third lane, then a fourth lane, then a fifth lane. They never looked for any other way to solve the solution. The same thing with prisoners. They want to build a bigger prison for prisoners until they fill it up. When they fill it up, then they want to build a bigger prison. From what I understand in Gulf Shores, they've got their uh, city jail is stays pretty much at full capacity. And the, the uh, uh, police down there want to expand to another jail system so where they can increase the amount of people that they're incarcerating. And most of these are DUIs and small and stuff like that. That oh, No, no, know, no, not now. Now those people are being housed with these hardened state prisoners that the governor's refusing to let go up to home and they're anywhere else because of COVID. Right, right. which is going to cause more problems. Okay, so so let me let me get the burr out from under my saddle about this whole damn project. We have the first of its kind ever built poured concrete water tank built in 1915 that's going to have to go so that they can expand the jail. Did you see it in the background the whole time they were showing the building and uh, yeah, showing yeah. the jail? <laughs> I mean, just the, the just the dumbest stuff. I mean, uh, it, it really is. What do you think it's going to cost to take that puppy down? Oh, I well, hell, it's got to be nothing but metal with a little skin of uh, concrete around it to hold it up. I mean, if you just think about the physics that they had to deal with in 1915, that damn thing. I mean, it's got to be nothing but metal with it. It's got to be all rebar and, and wire. That thing's probably solid as a rock, baby. And it's probably just now getting to its, uh, I don't know, it takes 120 years for concrete to reach its full strength. Yeah, I well, the, uh, a bunch of engineers. the sheriff's, the thing, I tell you the thing that gets me about the sheriff's department and the uh, even the, some of the municipalities is why in the hell are they all driving SUVs? What is that? I gotta be able to get my big ass up in there when they put the handcuffs on me, Paul. Come on, man. I mean to tell you, that's just every one of these are SUVs. How much gas are we talking about when we could cut back on vehicles? And uh the sheriff's department in uh uh Baldwin County, well, I don't know how much bigger that's gonna get, but I guess he's gonna finally get a seat on the commission as as much as uh uh we're doling out to him. All right, man. It's time for the rip report. You're in charge. You're driving. Okay. Uh, I am happy to report that the land yap is getting right back on track. And uh, uh, it's quite rewarding to be able to go get a land yap and see it nice and healthy again. One of the articles that stood out to me was by Jason Johnson, the talk. And that's Mobile Police Department Chief discusses policies and community relations. And I can tell you from my own observations that those police chiefs over there in Mobile, they do a damn good job at community uh, discussions. Uh, they invite the community in. They engage the community whenever they can. When there's a process or a demonstration, they're right out there with them trying to talk them and talk them down and keep things calm. So I'm glad to see that Mobile has taken that, uh, that position. And then, of course, that uh, compassionate release with Dickie uh, Lynn. That's pretty interesting, Reed. Uh, 
sustainable or not article by uh, Trace Brown, and they're talking about the restaurants adjusting to the pandemic regulations. I, I really feel sorry for businesses like that. I don't know how they can possibly uh, survive for long, only getting 40 to 30 percent, 50 percent. The next article by Dale Leash is the council approves Africatown Welcome Center funding. Uh, this is centering around uh, uh, making it a tourist destination for the Clotilda and some of the exhibits that came from it and artifacts. Uh, it should really put Africatown on the map. And right now when we're thinking about a lot to do with uh, uh, the history, black history, it comes right into play. Uh, the inmates causing problems for the jail. You just went over that. That was by Jason Johnson. And then uh, also, and I've thought about this with Dale. Dale Leash wrote this, Skin Deep Councilman Committee Debates Ordinance to Remove Race from City Forms. And I always wondered about that. I always wondered why they didn't just say male, female, done. You know, why'd they have to know where the hell I was born and all this other stuff? Uh, the uh, two more articles before I get to the big one is the appeal hearing. This is former Spanish Fort Magistrate claims the firing is in retaliation. That's by Gabe Times. Anybody that thinks that this woman was fired for anything other than retaliation has got their head in the sand. This is upfront personal corruption to its greatest extent. The mayor of Spanish Fort should be thrown out uh, and hopefully he'll be elected out is what needs to happen. Uh, the other article that I thought was very interesting was by Gabe Times, environmentalist question, the Alabama Power Capacity Plan. Uh, they want to take the Berry Steam Plant, increase the capacity up there. They're not addressing anything to do with the coal ash, nothing to do with the environmental studies of the coal ash. They just want to keep increasing production. Uh, and this is like over a billion dollar project. So I don't know what you can do with someone that is a monopoly as large as that. Uh, and that's what it is, is a monopoly. The inside the uh, story there of uh, Harry and I went last night to Page and Pallet to hear Governor Siegelman and his story uh, on YouTube. You can go to Atticus and the Architect, which is a video that is a documentation of the of, of Mr. Siegelman's uh, story. And, you know, before you discount uh, Governor Siegelman, you need to realize that he is the only man that has been elected to Secretary of State, Lieutenant Governor, Governor, and Attorney General. So uh, the book is, I'm only a couple of pages into the book, but the whole story is intriguing. I was, in, uh, I knew about it at the time that it was going on. Uh, I wish him the best. Uh, he's looking for some type of judicial reform. That I am not sure about. Uh, a couple other things. So, so uh, without getting into a whole lot of detail, I have a family member who is married to a family member of Governor Siegelman's. So uh -huh. I kept up with this as it unfolded. 
And um, I can tell you, just like the 150 attorney generals from across the state who wrote President Obama uh, asking him to, to pardon, asking the president to pardon Governor Siegelman, um, I, I can tell you that this is one of the worst miscarriages. Of, well, let's, co let's call it what it is. It's, a, it's another co-option of the system by a by by political movement and in this case it was the conservatives who were wanting to get rid of governor Siegelman and the backstory here that we're going to get into next time is the former uh federal judge uh mark fuller and uh judge fuller has a storied and colorful past um he ended up resigning after uh a, an alleged domestic violence incident. Um, but the, the, the punchline here is um, he ended up getting a bunch of government contracts for a company that he, um, that he owned while serving on the bench. Right. And nothing happened to him. Oh, of course not. He, he, he was, he was off the bench that did that wife beating thing did it for him as far as being on the bench. So, so let's talk, let's talk a minute about that. Um, you know, so some of the things that, that governor Siegelman is, uh, proposing in his book in particular is the overhaul of the, um, the grand jury system. You know, the, he's claiming that the U S attorney got in there with the federal grand jury and gave them one side of a story in order to indict him and then further and judge fuller carried that water forward by saying telling the jury that they could consider a donation made by richard scrucci of all people to the lottery fund non-profit non-profit you know because the it's the governor is in favor of a lottery and of course when you read the book you find out and nobody knew at the time but the choctaw indians over in mississippi had given 10 million or between 10, I, I want to say it's 30 million, but I'm not sure. I'm talking off the top of my head here. But anyway, a substantial amount of money to the Christian coalition so that they would fight this thing for them. Right? I mean, it's right. just. So it was checkmate on Governor Siegelman. And next time we will talk about just what it was worth to the Republicans to make sure this man ended up in jail instead of the White House um, because and, they were uh, running as, as a vice presidential hopeful. And it should be mentioned that uh, the that government's uh, Governor Siegelman, when he lost the last election, he lost that election because of six thousand some votes that were uh, misplaced or have been hidden from the public ever since uh, in Baldwin County. Yeah, I got and I got a good little backstory on that one too. All right. When we get no, when you know when we talk Do it next week, talk right. to the governor will. We'll lay it all out then. Okay. Uh, there, there is one thing that you missed, Paul, and I don't want it. I don't want anybody to think that I missed a, a, a an opportunity to throw Batman into uh, one of our podcasts. But if you go back and watch Batman Returns, the yeah. whole premise of the bad guy's idea is they're going to build a power plant, even though they don't need one in Gotham City. <laughs> right. Does right. This familiar. So right. during a pandemic and a recession. 
we're going to raise the rates on the rate payers in Alabama to the tune of $1.1 billion so that they can retrofit and buy a new power plant. When we have a power surplus in Alabama until 2031, we don't need to generate, we don't need any more capacity until then. Now, when we do something then, why not do something that makes sense like solar or wind or whatever? Oh, that's right. You can't build a windmill in Baldwin County over 50 feet tall. Guess who did that for us? these people and meet these people and talk to these people yet we've treated them poorly which i think is i find offensive and i take personally the the straw man when he was on the county commission they had a company that wanted to come in and put a wind farm down along the uh causeway right so anyway it is checkmate from all sides on this coal ash deal on alabama power company ever being held accountable to anybody it's never going to happen and Another one of those issues where I don't know why we waste our breath, Paul. Really. And, uh, Public Service Commission just rubber stamps the approval unanimously. Oh, every single time. Every have ever, time. Have you ever heard of them turning down a request from Alabama Power Company? No. And they completely are oblivious to anything to do with coal ash. They don't want to talk about that. I still, uh, the Backwoods Southern Lawyer Challenge is still on the table. They can leave it right there, but every member of the uh, – there's a board that is over ADEM, and they have a real official name, but I can't ever remember what it is. It's like the Alabama Environmental Safety Commission or something. Yeah. They all walk through that crap barefooted, and lit, and none of them lose their hair a year from now or develop some kind of weird cancer. They can leave it right there. <laughs> That, uh, that's where I put I put that back on them. Go for it. Knock uh, yourself out. All right, Paul. Give me another. Well, also with the uh, with Lanyap, uh, the Nappy Awards are out, so everybody can join in and uh, vote for your um, best Nappy category, whatever it is. But uh, uh, those awards be out later this year. So anybody want to participate in the Nappy Awards do. The uh, uh, Club for Growth, we're seeing a lot of Club for Growth advertisements right now for Hightower. Washington's throwing all the money it can at uh, trying to get Hightower in. Catalyst is pushing Hightower as hard as they can too. And the harder Catalyst pushes and the harder that Washington pushes Baldwin County should be pushing back and voting in Jerry Carl. You vote in a catalyst candidate to send to Washington. You are going to be sorry and you're going to get nothing in return, but grief. So think about that folks. These catalyst people are not voting or not working for your benefit. Uh, in, uh, and don't think catalyst only has its eyes on, uh, uh, Washington. They also are looking at uh, Daphne. It appears that the uh, Daphne mayor, Mr. Haygood, who really started out even before Catalyst, but the same group just morphed into Catalyst. Uh, seems like he's fallen out of grace for with the uh, Catalyst people. Now Catalyst is headed by Scott Boone, who is uh, Kevin Boone, the Councilman Boone in Fairhope. Uh, that's his son, 
and his he is contributing heavily in Daphne to Steve Carney, who's running for uh, mayor. So if they got Catalyst beside their name, you better be thinking twice before you put your check there, people. I'm telling you, that is uh, a downward street. Uh, you want to chime in on anything else before I get in this next uh, article, Harry? Um, no, sir. There was just, there was one thing that I wanted to go back over, and if you give me an opportunity, I will about the about the Atlanta shooting. And I had all the names written down. That's why I couldn't come up with it. I, I lost my notes. But when I look at that Atlanta shooting, I see a whole lot of victims. I see a system that we set up, and when I say we, I don't mean white people. All of us set up, and everybody in that. Now, of course. Somebody made a decision to use deadly force, and they have to answer for that. Um, but, you know, Rashad Brooks was 27 years old. He's dead. And now Garrett Rolfe, that guy's life's over with. He's, yeah. He pulled that trigger, you know, and, and that's any time you pull a trigger, you're responsible for it, whether you're a police officer or not. So that, that was the only thing that I wanted to go back around to and well my only my thing with the police department you got to have a police department there's damn damn good policemen out there too but i think that we strayed into militarization especially some of these sheriff departments and assault rifles 50 caliber sniper weapons uh you know armored vehicles and then uh combat training training with a pistol to shoot until you're empty to kill you know that type of strategy, that's not a, a policeman is a peace officer. And that's what should come first is a peace officer. So Paul, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something and you're not going to like any of this. All right. Uh, I think the president coming up with his own ideas for reforming the police and taking something like a chokehold properly applied by someone who's trained to do it is a really good way to incapacitate somebody where you don't have to hit them over the head with something or shoot them with something. Or let's go to, why did Baymanette Police Department spend $40,000 on ARs? They should have spent $40,000 on non-lethal Mossberg shotguns that only fire rock salt or a taser round or a beanbag. And trust me, um, it's like being hit in the, in the leg with a baseball bat when you get shot with one of those beanbag shotguns. You'll go down. You'll have no choice. And those right. are the kind of options we need to be putting on the table. Not uh, from, you know, what happened to the nightstick? Did, did Rodney, well, yeah. Rodney King beat and take that off the table? So, so, so now when you had something, you keep somebody at a distance from you. Um, now it's all hands-on where they, you know, can potentially get – something like a taser off of your thank goodness it, he didn't get a hold of that gun um there are just a lot of things about that whole cheating uh, there were of course there were mistakes made but if you were watch the first 40 minutes of it you just think this is my goodness when's something gonna happen well you know, i kept going this seems like real tame and then all of a sudden it just goes to chaos yeah um I spent a good six weeks, I think, in Vietnam, about six weeks on military police. And we're in Vietnam in a combat zone. Of course, now we were in a very secure area there by a Marine air base at that time. We were not given a weapon. The, at the post, you had a 16-gauge shotgun. But those that were roaming around, 
We just had billy clubs. That's all we had. And, so, uh, and, I, and they knew when they saw you coming to break it up, right? Right. So you're going to well, use that billy club. First of all, they didn't want to see the Marines coming anyway. <laughs> right, I'm sure. Walking to a squid I, You know, I swear nothing ever surprises me. Um, but here we are going into elections in Fairhope, and it is going to be, ladies and gentlemen, it is going to be probably the nastiest bar fight you have ever seen in your life. You have every story and concoction going around. But the one thing that in Lanyap, uh, and this is a uh, dueling articles, if you will, written by Howell Raines, wrote the grandiose disaster in the making by Howell Raines. And then the opposite uh, opinion is a plan for resilience in the waterfront. And this is written by Karen Wilson. Now, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Raines, is a former executive editor of the New York Times, and he's an MNSBC commentator and the author of My Soul is Rested, an oral history of the civil rights movement. I want Mr. Raines to know something. He is the epitome of what Mr. Boone, Councilman Boone and Councilman Brown and Councilman Brown call a carpetbagger. He is, and, and this is who he is quoting. Okay, now this, the topic of this is the waterfront. Now, in 2010, we had the BP disaster, and out of that came some funds that trickled down to different communities. Um, Fairhope was one, and as of the last three years, First, this money had to come from BP. Then it went into a pool. Then you had to apply for it. Then after applying for it, you had to qualify even more. And it goes on and on until about three years ago when the money was, looks like it was on the table. So Fairhope moved ahead to have a, a waterfront project that is like $6.3 million. Now, this money came from BP. It has a particular criteria to it. They're not just giving you money to go out there and come up with some fancy plan. It's for the stabilization of the uh, banks in that area and the erosion. And Mr. Howell is not even familiar with the erosion on the other end of the park, which is drastic. And he refers to Fly Creek as just a nominal problem of a few residences. This tells me that Mr. Howell knows nothing. Mr. Raines knows nothing at all about the history of uh, Fairhope. He's quoting Councilman Brown and Councilman Boone. That's always a good idea. Pardon me? I said, that's always a good idea. Yeah, yeah. He's quoting Brown and Boone as being the people that he wants to help stop this plan. This has been going on for two and a half years, people. These people have never even come to the meetings. They admit in the article that they're six weeks, eight weeks behind. They don't know. They didn't come to the meetings. They're not familiar with what's going on. But this diatribe that he goes into is his opinion. His opinion. This is a, a like an executive from New York Times is now telling us how we're going to spend the money 
on our parks. The mayor is trying to explain that in the last three years, we have been meeting on this over and over again. It has been mentioned in two of the State of the Union meetings. And one person heading up uh, another person other than uh, uh, Mr. Raines is Evelyn Young, who's spearheading a community project to stop the plan, to stop a $6.3 million plan because she didn't even know it was going on until March. And now they want to go back and stop all this. What about all of us people that went to these meetings over and over and over again? The scope of work is specific as to the grant. You can't just change it. And people are never going to agree 100% on everything. But if you don't go to the meetings and you don't participate and you don't look at what's going on, then how in the world can you even raise your head at the 11th hour and start complaining? And here's the other thing too. This is not over. This, these meetings are still going on. There's people alluding to the fact that these meetings are being held uh, behind closed doors and stuff like this. People, please don't fall for this. This is all, this is, we have an election coming up in a month and a half. That's what this is about. And this is not about, this is not the mayor's plan. This is a plan that was put forth by you, the people that attended these meetings. You know, I mean, you're the ones that, that said what you wanted to do. You came to the meetings. These people are quoting things and saying things that are so far in left field that it's obvious that they do not have any understanding at all what's going in Fairhope. Here's what I want to ask those people, uh, especially uh, Mr. Raines. I want Mr. Raines to understand something, especially since he wrote the book, uh, My Soul is Rested, uh, History of the Civil Rights Movement. Well, Mr. Raines, I want you to understand that the Fairhope City Council, Mr. Boone, Mr. Brown, and Mr. Burrell, bought a piece of land for $2.65 million for recreation. And they that land is all the way out at the airport. Now, Mr. Raines, I don't know where you were then, but they did that because they did not want that recreation land to be close to the black neighborhood. And if you don't believe that, you just go and ask around. So where were you, Mr. Raines, when that was going on? Okay, where were you, Evelyn, when that was going on? What about the corruption? What about the obvious corruption of different council people? Where were you? Where were you when they were trying to give away the Triangle property? Where were you when they bought the K-5 Center and didn't have enough money to do anything with it and then spent tens of thousands of dollars and just putting a patch over a condemned building? Where were you when they changed, where we tried to change the government for the better to where the community had more representation? Where in the hell were you people? I was even there at that one. Yeah, where were you? And now you want to come up and make a big stink about a project that you don't know a damn thing about. This is all political people, and you can bet that capital catalyst 
will capitalize on this. And if they see that it's got feet, they will run with this just as a political issue. And if this project is stopped because it's a political issue, then everybody in Fairhope loses. Everybody loses. If you want to participate, show up for the meetings. It's easy to go write something, but show up at the meetings. None of these people have been coming to any of the meetings. So, and, and as I said, this project is not uh, uh, signed, sealed, and delivered. The mayor is still asking for input. But that means you've got to come to the meeting. You've got to hold up your hand and you've got to say something. But just going for, a, for an executive editor of New York Times who's relocated in Fairhope and wants to sharpen his pencil again, well, let me tell you something, Mr. Range. You need to do a little bit more research before you write that next article. Damn, Paul. You kind of pissed off about this thing. Yes, I am pissed off. I'm fed up, man. I am fed up with people in Fairhope with their head up their ass. All right. Let's, let's talk about let's talk about something that's really gonna set your ass off. How about yeah. this? The Grand Hotel expansion. That that oh uh, God. This thing here. Oh. Okay, people. You're, <laughs> you're right, Harry. You're torturing me, okay? You're torturing me. All right, listen to this, folks. Here, here you, Mr. Rain, you want to write about something? Write about this. Now, see where it says subject property and it's got the little arrow. That right. used to be the only damn place you could buy gas between the Fairhope yacht club and way up in weeks bay right, right? so right. they got po'd because their project didn't get approved and they went ahead and pulled the tanks up out of the ground so the reason that everybody wanted it to stay like it was is off the table anyway right right so now they're going to come in here and they're going to build luxury condominiums listen they used that as a threat at the meeting at the meeting when we were asking why they took the gas tanks out and everything before the application was in, why these gas tanks were taken out after, I think, some ridiculous time, like 40, 45 years, 50 years they'd been in. And at the meeting, the RSA representative said, well, if you don't allow us to do this, we're going to do this. And we're going to use every piece of prop every piece on there to build even more condominiums. Do you think they care about your neighborhood? That's what they did. Yeah, and they don't care about your neighborhood. If you think RSA is a good neighbor, well, then just ask those people down there, point clear, who are being run over by uh, RSA. Now, RSA also doesn't pay any Fairhope taxes at all, but we provide them with all the services they need, but they don't want to pay us any taxes. Many years ago in a meeting, I heard somebody say, you know, the, well, a councilman, councilman, uh, uh, da, 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 what is his name? Uh, he's deceased now. Ford, councilman Ford said that Fairhope would be nothing without the grand. And it was Bobby Green that stood up and said, no, the grand would be nothing without Fairhope. And that is true. 
if the grand was down there and Fairhope wasn't here, it'd be an isolated hotel on a peninsula. You know, that's it. So, you know, Fairhope should get some credit for this. And also RSA, that you should feel ashamed for the way you are treating people in Baldwin County, Point Clear, and, our, and in our area by shoving this down our throat to teach us a lesson because that's exactly what your intent is. I bet you learn this just this one time is all it's going to take for you to learn, Paul. Yeah, really. Um, I, did, I have my copy that I got last night. Did he, uh, did he sign yours? Yeah. Yeah. They were signed copies. I mean, all the copies were signed, I think in front. Well, I got mine signed when I went up there and spoke with him briefly. Um, the only other thing that I wanted to roll, go back around to, uh, when we were talking about the new uh, $40 million jail and the uh, expansion of the uh, Baymanette's going to build a new justice center. I yeah. guess that's, so they're going to sell their police department to the county and then they're going to go somewhere else and build a facility. Um I'm gonna make a prediction, Paul. I don't know any. I don't. I haven't looked at any of this on the an agenda or anything. But I'll just bet you the Fraser Lanier Company out of uh, Montgomery does all the uh, investment banking and bond work. Just a little hunch. We'll, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll be sure to investigate that and come back and and well, our listeners. You know. I just hope our listeners are paying attention to this group that we call Catalyst and uh, that they understand the extent of the damage that this group has done and is wanting to do. And if a candidate has his name out there beside Catalyst or Catalyst is supporting them, I'm telling you people, if you're voting for these people, you are voting against your best interest. And the people in Fairhope, I hope that you're smart enough to look at facts and read information that is factual, not something that somebody created right before an election that has doesn't even have any idea of what the hell they're talking about. Attend the meetings and vote. And if you're really concerned, run for office. All right. Since Rain's sitting here, I get to I get to dabble a little bit and I want you, I want your honest opinion on this. Okay, Paul. Uh Oh, yep. So just, just one sec. The really difficult part of the story, David, is, is that almost certainly we're talking about some kind of operation that was being run with knowledge of governments that may have involved pedophilia and was not shut down. And what I can't understand is um, what is it that is keeping some reporter from simply asking the questions that are on everybody's mind? Was this person connected to the intelligence services? Where was Ghislaine Maxwell's passport last seen? Why are we not talking to Les Wexner? Where are the trading records? What is the source of the fortune? It seems to me very clear that we have a missing fortune of Robert Maxwell and an unexplained fortune of Jeffrey Epstein. Are those the same fortune? Who's asking these questions? Did everybody go to sleep when they taught journalism in school? I just don't understand. I guess my sort of disconnect as well is this sense of, I worked in Channel 4 News, they had an investigative unit. 
these were the kind of bread and butter questions. They pushed really hard, for example, on the phone hacking scandal in the UK, the, the Murdoch Papers phone hacking scandal that also involved networks of power, it involved uh, shady deals, it involved corruption, and they, they pursued that quite intensely. I, I, I'm, I'm feeling this sense of dislocation because I agree with you, there are these questions that are not being asked, and I find it difficult to understand why that is, knowing that there are, knowing the, the public interest and, know, and knowing the, that, that these questions have been asked in the past. Let me tell you what happened. People started asking those questions, and they stopped. And that's what idea suppression is all about. We don't have the resources to pursue that right now. Well, actually, I'm concerned that this is starting to reek of conspiracy theory. Uh, I think given the delicacies of the situation, I'm going to need a lot more evidence before I give this thing the go-ahead. These are the sorts of things that you say when you're trying to shut down a line of inquiry. And this is, is that whatever... Does that sound familiar? Very, very familiar. Yeah. We, we, you know, I'm going to need a lot more evidence before we look into that line of inquiry or, um, you know, and, and it's like you said, Paul, what, what, what exactly is, is fixing an election? Is it the executive committee telling somebody they're not Republican enough to run for judge in this County? Is it, uh, is it a legislator changing the qualifications for a particular office to, um, <laughs> So, so that only one candidate fits the cookie cutter, right? Right, right. And also, I, I, you got also that that also goes to uh, right back to Siegelman. Look how that election was stolen. Those votes that gave that that overthrew that election have never seen the light of day. Well, they and, have because Adrian Johns certified the election the next morning on the courthouse lawn with David Brewer right next to him. So guess what David Brewer's doing now? Working for the Secretary the of State. For the Secretary of State. Wow. As the world turns. He was the head of elections in Alabama. <laughs> He's our yeah, former well, administrator down here. Uh, I will say, though, that the Secretary of State, John Merrill, is uh, one of my favorites on Goat Hill because – he was the secretary of state that listened to the complaints from Fairhope about uh, suspected fixed and rigged elections. And I know that a lot of people other than just myself complained. There was a poll watcher that complained. And as I understand it, even the uh, city clerk chimed in, which hey, uh, basically I, was her responsibility. I think I just misspoke. I meant David Brewer. I think I might have said David Connor, who was the county attorney. No, no, no. You said yeah. Brewer. Okay, Brewer. I you, you said Brewer. You said Brewer. But for for years, folks, you know, we say rigged or elections, and you want examples. There's four examples right there. That's all Baldwin County. That's the way they roll here. Before Catalyst was formed, it was Stacy Elliott and Haygood, and their sales point for you to sign up with them was that they guaranteed you. 100% you would win the election. Not until people got out and not, and then they became catalyst. And then catalyst went under the wire for a few years doing the same thing over and over again. But by 2014, 2016, uh, people had caught on and they saw what was going on. This, this group catalyst has funneled 
1.2, 1.4 million dollars through their organization to different candidates. These are judges here. Who are the, how are these judges getting their money? We see the money going from Catalyst. What we don't see is the money going to Catalyst. Who is giving the money to Catalyst? They're builders, they're developers. They're all the people here that are doing exactly what is counterproductive to our communities, but they're doing it for a dollar. So again, folks, pay attention to Catalyst. We've got these documents up for you to look. Unlike uh, Mr. Raines, we have documents to, to go along with what we're saying. That's about all and, I got, Harry. You got my blood pressure up. Mr. Mr. Rip through through 41, you know, people, a lot of people discount what we say and that's okay. But, uh, you know, the one thing I know, ain't nobody, filed, ain't nobody filed a defamation lawsuit against us yet. Have they? Cause we no. had something that wasn't true. No. And, and let me, uh, yeah. And let me remind people, if you want to read, if you really want to read and you want to see what went on, say in Fairhope since 2016, since the last election, you can go to the ripreport.com and you can go all the way back to when the mayor was sworn in and you can see how the mayor was treated. Mr. Boone and Mr. Brown have said in chamber, in the council chambers that they would not approve anything the mayor was for, that they were totally against the mayor, no matter what she suggested. I wonder if Mr. Raines knows that. Anyway, you're going to have to get me off the air. I'm going to start. All right. Well, so, and, and so the, the title of this episode is unforeseen. <laughs> and we've been talking about police harassment, um, the militarization of police, qualified immunity, you know, all of these issues since we got started. Right. And every single bit of this was absolutely foreseeable. And I don't, and, and, you know, having this leaderless movement with all these demands, I don't know, you know, at where, where does it end? Um, and, uh, and, and just what are the guidelines? Like I yeah. said, I, I don't know anything. I, I just saw that Nancy Pelosi ordering those those members. I guess they're former speakers of the House. Why they were would they be in the? Yeah, they were speakers of speakers. the House. Yeah, so, but but and the, but they had served in the Confederacy. Uh, I'm assuming they were from one of the Confederate states, and they were men of their time and. You know, if you were in the legislature in Alabama when the Civil War broke out, I don't know if you had to. I don't know if there was an election. I haven't ever really looked into all that. I'm sure there were elections under the the uh, Confederacy, but um, you know, I don't know. I maybe maybe one of those guys did. You know, ch change a law that helped. Um. I don't know. I, one of the one of the arguments. Imagine Harry, that if you're the Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives, um, chances are you're not a villain because you've been elected by the other members of the House. 
But I, but like I said, I don't know. But the arbitrary decision was made to take them down without any discussion. I think we should have some discussion about it. Well, and take and take, and take these people and why these monuments were erected and when into account. Right. Yep. If they were put, if there was a Confederate monument put up in 1962, I know exactly why it was put up. You know what I mean? Well, Harry, there was going to be a lot of changes. Uh, my favorite pancake mix is Aunt Jemima. So I think it's going to be changed to, <laughs> I don't know what. Lady uh, Annabellum I, changed the name of their group to Lady uh, A. I mean, I can honestly we say that I never, Redneck podcast, we'd have to change the name of the, you know, or the Gator Bait podcast or some other benign term that I had no idea was. Uh, so one of the things I threw out to Reigns on, uh, on Twitter the other day, and I was hoping he'd be here. You know, Reigns does a stand-up routine. Did you know that? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the George Carlin seven dirty words. Yeah. I had an epiphany. We need to come up with the seven things I could say when I was seven that I can no longer say now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any, anyway, I can't, I can't remember who it was, but it was uh, one of the members of the Senate this week said something about, well, this looks like a, a token attempt at a resolution. Right. Ooh, man. They very everything, everything's kind of nutty right now, but uh, I'm going to, I'll sign off with this. And that is that this next election in Fairhope is probably more important than the last four or five that they've had. And the main reason for that is that there are a ton of infrastructure projects that are going and a lot of, uh, very good projects for the community are in the middle and working. And when you have a council that uh, motto is that we're going to be anything against the, anything that the mayor proposes we're against. That's, that's not for the benefit of the community. That's just a, a political uh, wish list of your own. You don't have, this is what gets me is people don't have a plan. They want you to stop a plan without having a plan. Those people that don't have an alternative, you should, I mean, why are we listening to people that come in at the 11th hour, don't have an alternative and just want to stop everything that everybody's been working on for two and a half years. <laughs> so in this election folks in Fairhope, pay attention, look who accomplished what, and what is in the future of our community. And with that, Harry, I'm going to have to go to get my blood pressure calmed down. Well, well, good luck to you, Mr. Rip. And uh, I will see you next time. Thanks everybody for stopping by. And we hope you enjoyed this podcast. Be sure to put up JD's cartoon there. I sure will. The council cartoon.